The Spiritual Scientist podcast is today joined by Andrew Linnell. Andrew's the founder of Mystech. Hi, Andrew. Andrew's the founder of uh, Mystech, which seeks to advance humanity's moral cultivation of technology through spiritual science. Um, that sounds very exciting, but also much needed today, I think. And uh, Andrew is the author, a, a children's author as well, a father of three, uh, a Waldorf parent, or, or a Steiner school parent, as we say over here, same, same as me, I am too, and um, the son of a professor of astronomy. And Andrew was just telling me before that that led to, uh, well, mentor growing up surrounded by materialism. And Andrew, welcome to the podcast today. Great to have you here. Thank you, Vic. Great to be here too. Excellent. Well, I'd like to start off actually, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself, but also about um, MizTech or MizTech, am I pronouncing it correctly? And um, maybe also a little bit of an overview of your understanding of technology in the world and its task and maybe in relation to spiritual science science as well that's a lot but <laughs> maybe um yeah you can start wherever you like well you mentioned that i was the son of an astronomer that's correct and grew up in a house where um and and most of us my age grew up in similar conditions of uh the rule of science and um and what science was bringing, which was doused completely in materialism. Uh, I remember my father and I, I developed this habit too of sort of um, demeaning any sort of spiritual uh, person and, and what they were saying, you know, it was easy to mock it out of materialism. And then, uh, I had a girlfriend uh, when I was working for IBM in Endicott, New York, and um, she had been given a book called Man in the World in the Light of Anthroposophy by uh, Stuart Easton in this 3,000 or so page book. Uh, one night, uh, she woke me up at two o'clock in the morning to tell me there wasn't just one Jesus child, there were two. And I, at that point, told her, I don't want anything to do with this anthroposophy. I, you know, keep it out of my life. <laughs> yeah. And um, I had a big day the next day at IBM. And so uh, it was many months later, she uh, stiff-armed me and said, you're driving me to a conference in Spring Valley, New York, on nutrition. So I drove down there and I'm in the bookstore down there looking for a book to prove how absurd this anthroposophy was. And the book I picked up, um, and I picked this one because it was only 99 cents and it had the title, The True Nature of the Second Coming. And I thought, perfect, this will, you know, be all I need to prove how absurd this is. Um, and that was my entry into anthroposophy. So I had been fighting it, but through the Christology, I found my way in. And then it took many, many years after that. So that was about 1975, I guess. And it took years after that before I could um, start 
dissolving away the wall of materialism. And it took quite some time. And then, um, so Mystech came about in part in um, 1978, 79, I did the foundation year at Emerson College. And my fellow students found out that I was in the computer field working for IBM. And I would hear these quips from them after a wonderful lecture or something. How can you be working for the enemy? You know, aren't you ashamed to be helping Araman? And maybe your listeners don't know who Araman is. Um, so I'll have to explain that in just a moment. But, um, and I visited a man named John Davey, who was there at the time. He was the editor of the science section for the Observer, which for those in the United States or elsewhere, this is sort of the New York Times for the UK. And um, he mentioned to me uh, Dante's Inferno, and he said, uh, to change the world, anthroposophy needs to go into all fields. And to really change the dragon, you need to go under the skin of the dragon. And so he inspired me um, not to become a Waldorf teacher, <laughs> um, which Francis Edmonds, one of the others, really wanted me to, um, but to stay in the computer field, which I did. But I found throughout the coming decades that there was a great fear of technology. And I found when I started to do some lectures that the more fear I brought in, the more positive reaction I got from the audience. They loved to be scared. So I actually nicknamed my talks the Alfred Hitchcock series. And I was talking about nanotechnology and its dangers back, you know, in 2001 and so on. And um, I woke up one morning after sort of questioning this for quite some time with the thought, fear feeds Araman. And for weeks after that, every Steiner lecture I opened to reread or read for the first time, I saw the lecture differently than I had before. This was a sort of turning point in my life. And I stopped doing lectures for a good seven years to take this all in. And it would then be seven years after that, that Mistech got founded. Uh, and really it was founded to try to help not just anthroposophists, but the world overcome its fear of technology. And as you know, there's this chat GPT that's out and it's caused quite a stir. We have uh, people all over who are deeply concerned about what it means to our humanity and quite rightly so. But <clears throat> what Mistech has tried to do is to go beyond the fear and to see how do we deal with what is coming in a positive way? How can we see it as part of our human 
evolution. And so in these regards, we've had to go very deep into what Steiner offered, Rudolf Steiner, about the future. And he did offer quite a bit. Uh, and some of it, he said, is going to come as a iron necessity. It is part of what human evolution must go through. And so this brings up lots of questions because as you know, uh, Steiner is the author of this book, The Philosophy of Freedom. And, uh, and so people go, where's our freedom with this iron necessity? So I'm throwing out quite a few concepts here to get us started. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, no, look, it's always a little bit tricky with um, depending who the audience, you know, you say my audience, yes. I, don't even, I don't even know who my audience is really. Um, so, you know, some people will be following this chat who've got um, a deep grounding in anthroposophy and Rudolf, have read lots from Rudolf Steiner and maybe watched a lot of videos, who knows? And some right. people will absolutely know nothing. So. Um, I think it's good just to go wherever you feel comf comfortable to go and bring up any concepts you need to bring up. That's a great introduction. Thank you. If we could, that picture that you have right behind you is uh, sometimes called St. George and the Dragon. Um, and St. George is allowed to kill the dragon um, in some of the paintings, but in general, um, if it's, uh, uh, we say it with the emphasis on the E-L meaning of God, uh, Mikael or Michael um, doesn't actually kill the dragon. He holds the dragon at bay, so to speak. And um, when we look at the caduceus or the staff of Mercury, we see two intertwined snakes a black one and a white one and we could say that these represent the two beings of hindrances for humanity so one is black and that would be um the lord of darkness if we can call it that um who we can also give this name araman because that comes from the persian lore this term and we also have then the white snake which is the tempter or the bearer of light um, lucifer is the biblical name um, and we use that in anthroposophy as well that term lucifer so you have these two the bearer of the light who wants to make us um a spiritual being that is a kind of moral automaton. And Araman would like to make us an earthly being who would be an intellectual automaton. And both are working their tentacles into our consciousness to try to sway us towards that opinion. So long in the past, we had Luciferic influence primarily that gave us wisdom, even wisdom of the spiritual world. And now we're in an age where uh, Araman predominates and so materialism predominates in our time. And one of the things that Steiner tried to show in that human evolution, if you think of humans as 
beings that reincarnate that um, we have come down for a purpose and that purpose is to develop freedom but that has been given now it's the conditions have been ripe for humanity to attain freedom so the pioneers if you will who are leading evolution now need to start bringing the ascent about and that's um then begs the difficult question what is that ascent and why then are we sliding more and more into an aramonic sphere shouldn't we be having peace goodness brotherhood um everybody loving each other like you know i did back in the late 60s with my hippie friends and we'd have those love-ins and so on and make love not war you know <laughs> so yeah great that's okay so yeah that that brings brings up you know lots lots more questions but that's really uh, a really great introduction into looking at these different forces that are at work within the human being but also within the world um within the cosmos as it were and so um we didn't touch on too much the the multitude of other beings who are there to support us into you know support us with our choices support us with our development of freedom as well um but yeah this question of you know human evolution i've talked about that in a previous podcast as well that we've come from the come from the oneness as it were where we were you know at one with the all with the everything with the gods uh and then gradually through millennia we've become uh, less and less connected to the spiritual world more and more individualistic more and more um right. aware of ourselves etc and that there are very various forces at play um in that journey and then yeah come then this big question that you brought up so going forward from this you know maybe this low point or the low point that humanity has reached i shouldn't say low point but the the crucial point where we now have the freedom freedom of choice to either grow and develop spiritually uh, or not how does that tie in do you think with with technology is there a link there with technology oh, oh definitely um I, I i would like to begin um that answer with the thought that um just as we need weights acting as uh, hindrances in order to build strong muscles. Um, the end of human evolution shouldn't be us limping across the finish line, so to speak, but um, we're going to be needed as strong angels. I can use that term, angels. Um, and I, I would like to give just a, a slight picture here so that we can see why technology has a very important role, and that is to look even farther back than Earth. And I'm going to mention something that, you know, my materialistic father as an astronomer would have ascribed to, uh, which is something in astrophysics called metallicity. And what that's 
field is all about is asking the question, how do we have heavy metals? If we start with a big bang, we only have hydrogen and maybe some helium. So how do we get to where we've got uranium and gold and lead and so on? And, uh, and what the scientists have worked out in this field is that there must have been three prior solar systems. And the first would have been after the Big Bang and just hydrogen, and then it would have had a supernova. And only in these conditions of supernova, according to the astrophysics that we have, um, could we have attained then some uh, fusing at the atomic level uh, so that hydrogen and helium become then those elements that form the gases. And then another supernova, another solar system, another supernova, and then we get those elements that are dissolvable in water. And then we have another solar system, another uh, supernova, and now we've got the elements of the periodic table. So uh, in that regards, if we take these three prior solar systems, we can ask, what were the conditions? Well, they didn't have solidity, perhaps. Um, and, and so if there were beings that had something like a human development, it would have been totally different than what we experienced. And Steiner actually does say that there were beings in each of those prior solar systems. And he gives names to them, the, or he doesn't, the esoteric names that he uses. Uh, the first would be called Saturn, then Sun, then Moon, and now Earth is, the, uh, the first half of Earth is Mars, and the next half is Mercury. And then there's the future, Jupiter, Venus, and he gave the last one the name Vulcan. So the beings of the hierarchy, um, the ones that are closest to us, which in Dionysus the, uh, terminology are Angeloi, Archangeloi, and Archai, each were on the human stage of one of those prior solar systems, if I can call them that. Mm -hmm. um, you may not have even had a sun. You may have had just a nebula or something. But um, so those are beings that are closest to us as humans and are helping to guide us. And they needed to, in order to guide us, to incorporate or even incarnate into human bodies in the past. They don't do this anymore because we've been in this period of developing freedom. So they've had to withdraw. But if we look ahead to what's coming, that next solar system with the esoteric name Jupiter, then we have to ask the question, what will we be? We will have evolved from the human stage to something equivalent to the angels for those future humans. 
and we will need to be able to incarnate. And if you look at this direction from just hydrogen or shall we say a warmth state to then the gases to then that which operates within liquids to now the solids, what's next? And, and so it's, we don't know yet, but you can see this progression and um, we will need to be able to do that. So there is a question, does technology enable us to go in that direction where we will be able to, through our work with technology, incarnate into a body of the next planetary condition called Jupiter. That's pretty spooky and pretty amazing stuff. Um, but um, there's more in the immediate um, future as well that makes all of the scary aspects of transhumanism make more sense. And I'm not saying transhumanism is a good thing, but I'm what I'm trying to say here is that just as Mephistopheles said to Faust, that I am that being who intends to do evil, but ends up doing the good. That um, these beings, Araman and Lucifer, have a nature, a God-given nature, you might say, or a developmental nature um, from their past that how they act upon humanity, you can almost say is instinctual. It's something they don't have a freedom to do. They do this out of their inner nature. And so how are Lucifer and Araman to be redeemed? And we're coming up to Easter and um, on Golgotha, the place of skulls, there were three that were crucified. And one of them recognized who the Christ was. And for him, he was told he would be redeemed. But the other continued to mock the Christ. And so the redemption of Lucifer is already underway, shall we say. But the redemption of, and it's not done by any means, but it's it's underway. But the redemption of this being Araman will have to wait until Jupiter. And there's a particular individual uh, who is historically known as Mani, M-A-N-I, and a whole stream of Christianity that at one point was larger than the Roman church called Monarchism. Um, and uh, that stream has taken on this task in the far future to redeem Araman through love, through meekness. So <laughs> I, that's a wild picture, I know, for some of your listeners. Um, and, and there's much more details that uh, could be said, but I'm trying to just give a quick overview of 
of it. And it's, and I know these uh, thoughts are difficult and with materialism, they become something quite easy to just mock and dismiss. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, but I know your background, it, it's probably easier for you to get, but maybe not all the listeners. Well, yeah, I think I, it's something I mean to say on all of these shows and forget too often, but nothing really beats sitting down and reading the books. So we can we can talk about it, <clears throat> um, but really sitting down and getting to grips with these thoughts and then discussing them with, with people and watching them on video is fine and good. And it's um, that's sort of what we're doing here is helping to put these thoughts and concepts and ideas out there. But um, I would really encourage people to go and find the, the texts and have a close look at them themselves as well. But I think you've done a great job giving us a, a big overview. And yes, it is very easy to mock those thoughts and ideas, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll carry on anyway. <laughs> and, you know, I think... Well, um... I, I know because I was one of those mockers. I was one of those scoffers, you know, in my past. So I, I know what I would be saying if I hadn't done the work in, you know, to really understand what Rudolf Steiner was bringing. <laughs> great. Well, yeah, I think that's great. And I think also um, it's quite easy to misunderstand what you, you've said or what Steiner said as well, but it's very easy to misunderstand this aspect to do with technology. And just to pick up, pick up on something you mentioned, which was that um, you're not saying transhumanism, transhumanism is, a, is a good thing necessarily, but there are you know whatever's happening now with the nanotech and the <laughs> chat the chat things and the ai and all that sort of stuff i mean it's here it's real it's it's happening and it's happening at a, at an exponentially uh accelerating rate so we need to face it and deal with it and it's i think it's also important to say steiner was not a a luddite or someone who um rejected technology in fact, he grew up as the the son of a station master as the as the trains were coming in, you know. So, and he wasn't someone who was against technology. There's often this misconception, um, because you know, especially in the Waldorf or the Steiner schools, there is this emphasis on not having too much technology in the lives of the developing child. That then people think, oh, okay, he must have been against technology, but it's not really not the case. Um, and so maybe you want to say something about um, the state of things at the moment, um, where we're at with AI. Some, something that occurred to me before we came on was, and you know, your your work with Mistech around the moral development of humanity, humanity, uh, and the technological development. Elon Musk, for example, you know, he 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 talks a good game, and he says a lot about we need to really make sure we uh, are keeping an eye on our on the moral side of things and all that sort of stuff but then in the background he just goes goes on hammering hammering on developing this technology you know to to connect you know brain computer interfaces etc and so yeah i'm 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 sort of searching for a question here but can you give us an update you know we've yeah, talked about sure. the big picture where are we right now and what's what's happening so right now? you mentioned elon musk um, and just yesterday, there was uh, headline news that Elon and a number of other leading scientists had asked for a kind of um, moratorium 
on the development of these large language AI models like ChatGPT, because uh, OpenAI just came out um, a, a month ago with version four of GPT. And, um, and so there's some concerns that these leading scientists have that there is a danger. They're not quite sure what the danger, we might not know what this danger could be, um, but they want there to be uh, a good look at what safeguards could be put in. And this gets to some fundamental problems of the sort of economic system in the West uh, in particular, um, but this distrust the West has of the East playing in, in, in whatever rules are set up because there is a sense that whoever gets there first will be the dominant player in the economic sphere of what's coming out of AI. And there's multiple companies in the West, there's multiple companies in China and Japan and so on, that are all working on AI and robotics and these sort of things. And um, so if part of the world says, let's have a moratorium and, and operates on that, as we did with um, using uh, CRISPR to edit human genes, uh, we put a moratorium on that and in China, they went ahead, a scientist, and of course, the Chinese government put him in jail for doing this, but he went ahead and, and explored that capability of taking some unwanted genes out of the embryo and inserting other genes in. And there are two children, unnamed, who are a result of that. Wow. Um, so, you know, somewhere in the world, somebody or some company is going to just ignore the moratorium and keep going. That's, in a sense, a problem of where we are. And that leads to the question, can we develop counterbalances? So here we sit in front of a screen and given what I've elected to do in my retirement years, I'm in front of this screen now as an administrator for Facebook, for all the email correspondences, for all the mistech work, for all the lectures and articles and books. I'm probably here 12 hours a day in front of a screen. And I know this is terrible. So I come up with a number of counterbalances um, a very simple one is right up there is a window and I can look out that window and I know 20 seconds, something that's at least 20 meters away. I should, I need to look at things at various distances, but at least 20 meters away. Um, so I call it the 20-20-20 rule that I should do this every 20 minutes for 20 seconds, 20 meters. 
And it's a very simple rule, but it's very good for the eyes because otherwise you're looking at only a certain distance all the time. And that's not good for the eyes. I, I think people are well aware of the dangers of doing repetitive motion and you get a kind of arthritis. So if you're holding a mouse all the time, you'll get arthritis in certain fingers. And that the same will happen to your eye muscles. Um, and so this is not, you know, this isn't good, of course. Um, that's a very simple sort of thing. But what about all the questions of being human? And that's a real, that's the real question here. What is it to be human? And there's some definitions that say, well, it's an animal without feathers that walk on two feet. And perhaps you've heard this, so the student brings into the class the next day a, a, uh, a chicken with all the feathers plucked off of it and puts it on the table and, and the chicken walks around, you know, and he goes, behold, the human, um, you know. So obviously that's not a good definition of the human. And it gets down to a question, does our definition of the human equal the physical body or is there something more to the human being than just the physical body and with darwin and all we we've come to a scientific basis that says yes we're nothing more than the physical body everything to do with thinking is just some electrical chemical reaction and everything to do with our senses is all just pure luck in the course of evolution. Um, you know, and they they can make pretty good arguments given the millions of years. Uh, and yet, um, you know, it still seems to me pretty sketchy science that's done. And so in the last 30 years, there have been some developments in this front in things like epigenetics. And are there things that rule above genetics? And are there things that rule in our thinking? Um, when we look at through a skull cap at blood flow going on in the brain, we can see that the blood flow is different if I think of one thing or if I remember something else or if I imagine riding a bicycle or I'm watching a movie or something, you see different areas of the brain being flooded with blood. And so scientists reach the conclusion, ah, that's thinking. Thinking is going on there. And it's equally valid to say, no, that's not the thinking. The blood is flowing as a result of the thinking. And so then they get into some questions. When does the thought occur according to things that you see? So it, they've done some experiments to see if I flash up an image of something and the brain is identifying or the mind is identifying what that image is, when do we see that blood flow and so on? 
Uh, when do we see the activity going on? And what was interesting in one of these tests is even before the card was shown, there was activity. Um, you know, and they, they started getting into, well, is there entanglement? You know, all sorts of theories yeah. were thrown out. Anything um, but anything but um, start to head in the direction that, yeah, that there's a spiritual component, anything. But I think that's where a lot of the materialist arguments actually really do break down. They're not, it's it sort of um, materialism kind of eats itself as a theory once you get into the philosophy of it. Yeah, I agree with that. And and so um, we are, if we look at our human history, we can easily see if we go back to Aristotle, Plato time, that the human being was considered, and, and St. Paul writes these words, we were considered um, pneuma, psyche, and soma are the Greek words, mm -hmm. or spirit, soul, and body. And we see the word soma now being used by a lot of New Agers, um, you know, and a lot of medicinals and so on, because we continue to focus on the body. We continue to think this is the most important thing. And, um, and, and we continue to try to achieve immortality of the body. But it started with the hippie movement, um, you know, looking at other religions and other traditions and the sense of reincarnation is now accepted by over 35%. The Pew uh, Research Group did a, a study, and this is 10 years ago, where they found that 34% of the population believe not in this is the population in the United States. So of course in the world it might be quite different number. But in the United States, 34% 10 years ago believed in reincarnation. Yeah, isn't it? That's fascinating, isn't it? Isn't uh, it? Yeah. Could I could I ask you just about um just to come back to this idea of consciousness and machine yeah. with the, the whole transhumanist thing, like you just mentioned just then about this the concept of immortality and, and reincarnation, but a lot of people in the, the transhumanist movement, as it were, they tend, it's almost like a religious, um, yeah. a religious thing that they're looking for. They're looking for immortality, but through the machine. So there's a lot of talk right. about things like being able to upload your consciousness, um, to the cloud yeah upload your consciousness to the cloud so that you actually you don't need the physical body anymore um because you'll be able to just be create a body for yourself out of i don't i don't know create a robot for yourself and then inhabit the robot um are they do you think these things are potentially real or is it really just um because i know you we could say that you know everything in the universe is conscious to some degree there is mm -hmm. consciousness even matter itself fundamentally is consciousness or has uh, is made up of conscious beings um mm -hmm. and so does that mean it, that it is possible that the human 
the human soul or the human spirit can actually incarnate into a machine you know i'm really i don't know i don't know where to go with this question but uh, yeah i i know where you're you I, know, I, where I, I know. okay so, uh, you, you answer you ask the question for me and then answer right. it please so today we have automobiles cars and we get in the car and the driver of the car gives the car a personality when you're driving on the freeway the highway um you can sense that driver up there isn't paying attention so well, or that driver is an aggressive driver, or that driver is quite afraid and they're hanging over, you know, towards this side of their travel lane. Uh, you know, those drivers, I can see them weaving in and out, they're, they're aggressive. Um, it's not the car, it's the driver that's giving the car a personality. And um, so is it possible that some sentient entity could incarnate, so to speak, or incorporate into a robot? Well, if you remember the movie Avatar, um, yeah, it's possible that through um, what we've already developed for prosthetic limbs and so on, that a person could at some remote site, like their own office or something, get into some suit <laughs> that senses their movement and you put on your virtual reality goggles and or headset, and now some robot you can have it go into the um, uh, the nuclear power plant that blew up and try to fix the reactors and take out the uh, dangerous nuclear waste and this sort of stuff um, by remote means. Is this Iron and, Man? Are we are we talking Iron Man here? Is this already is this a new script for the next Iron Man, or is this one that's already been? This is already exists today. Oh, you can okay. do this. I see. It's today, um, but it, the sophistication will just continue, so that um, someday in the future, and maybe twenty thirty would be a good date to. You might see as you're walking down the streets of New York City. Um, a robotic entity walking down the streets of New York City, passing you by, where a person in the hotel five blocks away is actually walking that robot. Okay, but that robot doesn't have its own consciousness. It has the consciousness of that person who is in virtual reality or maybe we could call it augmented reality doing that work or that operation of the robot walking down the street. Um, and I believe that there will be people who will be so tempted to amuse the world that they'll want to do this within the next 30 years is, is put on their avatar cloak, so to speak, and, and move a robot around. Um, Okay, but so as far as actually uploading one's consciousness. No, that's different. Right, right. That's, yeah, yeah this, 
So, and it's interesting that um, we have this word cloud because in Revelations, you know, in the Bible, it talks about how Christ will come in the clouds. Um, yeah. And, but no, you cannot take your consciousness there if so long as your consciousness is a living consciousness. And what does that mean if it's not in a body that is a living body, like our physical body? Um, what does that mean to consciousness? And so this gets to what in all the ancient practices called prana or chi or any anthroposophy, it's called the etheric realm. This is the realm of the living. And a plant has this, it distinguishes a plant from a rock. A rock doesn't have it in it. So, um, and, and this is where we can develop ourselves to have what Steiner called living thinking. What a person, what is envisioned is actually a dead consciousness that's uploaded to the cloud. Um, you would have to kill it in order to be able to put it into a dead substance that has no life. Now, when we um, talk about just what is software, what is AI, a programmer has to have um, a, a sequence of thoughts. That's what the program is going to do. If it has this conditions, then do this. If not, do this. And that's the fundamentals of programming is, is you have if, then, else, and do. So all of this AI is following this kind of dead thinking. You have to kill your thoughts in order to write a software program. And then what are they working on? They're working on dead data. Mm -hmm. So right now you and I are getting semi-dead data off of our screens. It's not the real live Mick Young I see because you're somewhere over the pond. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's not fully dead or else we would experience what we're experiencing differently. It's on its way to being dead. Okay, um, cool. Could you could you say something then about your your understanding of what living thinking is then? Because it sounds like, you know, when it comes to technology, we can have these things that we do which can counterbalance their effects. You know, looking out the window for for 20 seconds. I like your 20-20-20 rule. That sounds good. Uh, I've got a nice forest just outside my window here too as well. So I, I try and do that as much as I can. Um, so we've got these ways of mitigating the effects of technology on the human being. Um, <clears throat> what about, yeah, this aspect of, of living thinking? I think, you know, a lot of people in the Steiner world, anthroposophical world, talk about <clears throat> living thinking. Um, and it's always 
really interesting to me to hear how different people express it because it's almost like a brand new thing every time um, I hear it. So I'd really like to hear yours, if you don't mind. Well, okay. Um, it might be a, a challenge I won't be able to achieve, but let me give it a try. But also don't forget um, what I'll call the counter forces or counterbalances for the technological age. I gave you the 2020-20, but I want to give you a few others, but I might forget before we get to the end. But so um, through the, well, what we are, I'll go all the way back to childhood in a sense. Children often speak um, about experiencing something uh, about the world um, and we as adults or their parents teach them to dismiss these thoughts about elemental beings or spiritual beings or you know fairies or elves and these sort of things that many of them might naturally come to as parents we often think that these are things that uh, their storybooks gave them and you know to become good adults they need to get rid of these thoughts as they're growing up and there's some truth to that um, but on the other hand um, as we grow up we are more and more conditioned to learn book knowledge and what is put into what you learn of the facts in a book and all, um, I'm going to call that dead knowledge. Once you start to write it down, it's already, it has to be killed to be put into print form. A reader can, if the author wrote well and had a strong living image of what they were writing, the reader of the book can, trying to find the right verb here, all right, access that living image that the author had. And I think a lot of times when we're reading something, we have moments of that, glimpses of it. Um, now, in, Many of us have this moment where we're in a group and we're doing what used to be called a brainstorm. We're struggling with something. We've got to find a solution for it. And um, suddenly there's this moment, maybe two or three people in the group have that idea at the same time. And there's this, you almost feel hot. You almost feel like, you know, you got to take your sweater off or something because uh, it was so exciting, this moment that occurred. And I would say that is a moment of living thinking where the thought now that you all had is beyond what is contained in, in your brain only. It's, it's something which you could even say continues to speak to you, continues to evolve. And in this sense, to use Steiner's term, 
it is a being, a spiritual being. You don't see it, but it is a being. And it's a being that, like a plant, can um, evolve to where it has more definition in its leaves as it gives you more ideas. And then it comes to a flower and and then it might give you some fruit that becomes very meaningful in your work. I hope that helps. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, nice. Yeah, I think the image of the the living plant is um is always going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting also this chat GPT and and now GPT-4 have been shown to ace the college entrance exams or or the graduate school entrance exams and um you know so it's causing now concern you know can somebody bring in on their smartphone you know can they bring in uh you know chat gpt to give them the answers <laughs> it's a good good reason to get rid of exams i think <laughs> well yeah. exactly though nick that's the important thing, and that's what Waldorf education supposedly is all about, isn't teaching to take tests, but teaching to be a thinker in the modern world. And the modern world for the kids that are in first grade today is going to be a very different world when they're adults and out there uh, creating a profession for themselves. Yeah, that's right. I often think about that, how I use the example of the vinyl record industry. You oh, know, yeah. although, although the vinyl record industry is sort of resurging now, so it ruins my little analogy here. But um, yeah, you know, one day you had a job in the vinyl record industry and then the next day the CD was on the market and it was over. But you, so, you, you know, as you say, you start school, you have absolutely no idea that, that jobs that you're thinking about when you're uh, 10 years old, probably not even going to exist by the time you can come out of school. Um, so Andrew, maybe a good place to head to next, just if we've got uh, a few, a couple of minutes left just to finish off. Um, you, you mentioned about counterbalances. Yes. Yeah, so is that, so, you've got some other things, because I think that'd be really good to leave people yes, with some actually things that they can do, because um, I'm looking for them as well, because I'm on, I'm on here too much. And um, yeah, going for a walk's always good, looking outside's good, but maybe we need something more. Yeah, let me do that. And, and it's uh, ec extremely important um, if we are to not succumb to this and and the picture I want to show is we've been coming down down down, um, and now we've gained our freedom. Um, people aren't necessarily using it, but we can't have it. And now we're at a point where we need to start rising up for our sake to become strong angels in the end. So this is the ascending curve, but we are also needing to go down so that we are prepared to be the angels for those who will be human on Jupiter, as we talked much earlier. So it's not, in our, in our consciousness, it's not just an ascent, but it's ascending and descending. And Steiner called this supernature, going in, or lifting our consciousness into supernature, 
because we're at the level of nature and descending into subnature. And most people, in most anthroposophists, well, I shouldn't say most, many anthroposophists view the descent as something to be avoided, as going into subnature. We shouldn't do that. And what Mystech has been trying to do is show yes, and how you can do it is with the counterbalances. And this is the primary one that Steiner gave um, that was developed is eurythmy. Eurythmy, we were talking about the etheric realm, the realm of the living, the chi, prana, our other names, um, the, the realm that the plant distinguishes itself from the mineral. Um, what a eurythmist is doing is living and working in that etheric realm. They are showing sounds. So they're making speech visible. They are showing music. They're making music visible. So these tones of music are, are expressed now in how the human body shows a form. And so, so just to cut in there, just for yeah. one second, just to say for those who don't don't know, eurythmy is this form of uh, movement that that Steiner developed um, was inspired to develop with the help help of um, Marie Steiner, I believe. Is that right? His, yes. Well, others and, and and others as well. So, yeah, just to mention that. Yeah, thank you for that. And and there are a number of uh, so in Europe, perhaps the best one is called. Eurythmy with the number four, Y-O-U.com. Um, that's Theodore Hondhammer. And he he has tried to develop this counterbalances. So he does these online. You can um, do these every day as a kind of counterbalance. Um, another one that I think is very important for people and you and the, and, in the UK have no problem with this. You all do it anyway. And that's to go out for a walk every day. And uh, and I'll tell why that's so important in just a minute. But, you know, obviously, since we sit all the time in front of a screen, we don't move enough. So eurythmy is a movement, a movement with the etheric. What are we doing when we're outdoors in the sunlight? What is sunlight? And science has an answer, but is it just waves coming down from the sun? Um, and one can say the, the light is a sheath for the spiritual. And something from the spiritual is coming down. And I'll explain what that is in just a second with the third counterbalance. But so it's of immense importance just to go out for a walk, to be moving for an hour every day. Um, the more you can do this at the same time so that in the course of the year, you notice the change of seasons in nature, the better it is for you. So um, I urge people to do that. And, you know, if, if you want, okay, put on the headphones and listen to something. But I think it's much better to use that hour to be fully immersed in what you're doing. 
as boring as it might be to you, find ways to make it not so boring. Find things where, oh, that flower wasn't there yesterday. I see a crocus there today or a daffodil or the tree here. It's now shading and it wasn't shading a week ago. These kind of things are wonderful to notice. Now, the third one is something that Steiner didn't develop called refined breathing. And this he also called the new yoga. The old yoga developed about 5,000 years ago was developed at a time when the initiates of the ancient mystery centers knew that the human soul had two parts, a part that understood the spiritual and focused on that, and a part that understood, the, did I say the spiritual, and the other part that focused on the physical. We could even say that's Abel and Cain as two parts of the human soul. And um, they could foresee that we were losing the upper one the one that focused on the spirit. And not that these are separate souls. That became the thought in the early centuries of Christianity um, and, and led to the Eighth Ecumenical Council. Um, but we can say that um, what was once one started gradually separating. And at the time of when yoga was developed, it began to look like a figure eight, not quite pulled apart, maybe like in the lips, but they could foresee that this was going to pull apart, which it did when we got to Roman times. And it stayed apart up until the time of the Renaissance. And it stayed apart so we could develop freedom, so that there was no spiritual impulse. And, and something that added to that, um, you know, astrology and the oracles and these sort of things all were forms that kept us from attaining freedom. So Mercury and Venus, when we went from the geocentric to the heliocentric model, were swapped. And you can see that when you look at the models of geocentric versus heliocentric, that the planet closest to the sun is Venus, not Mercury. And so the sequence in geocentric is moon, then Mercury, then Venus, then sun. And that was swapped to prevent people from ascribing to astrology, to make astrology not work. So now coming back to this refined breathing, when we look at air breathing, in those days uh, when yoga was developed, we breathed in spiritual being, not the being, but beingness. Um, and, and this affected us in positive ways to keep us connected to the spirit. In order to develop that freedom, even that had to stop. The air became merely air. Where do we find spirit today? In that etheric realm. And what is sunlight? It is etheric. The real sunlight is the etheric light, the light ether. And 
we breathe that in through our senses, through our eyes, but we breathe in the light through our ears, senses, taste, smell, all that. And that light ether is carried by our warmth ether to our consciousness, where we are able to think about it. And what do we think? Well, that's our exhalation of that. We exhale our thoughts. Where did that exhalation go? This is where the spirit comes in. The angels, archangels, and archai that we talked about, about that part of the hierarchy closest to the humans, they breathe that in. It's nourishment for them. But what we've been giving them are stones. Our exhalation of dead thoughts are stones. And this leads to a great suffering in that world. But they are able, they have been dealing with it and turning our dead thoughts into living thoughts, which is their exhalation to the next hierarchy, the hierarchy of the Elohim or Exousiae, Kyriotides, uh, Dynamis and Kyriotides. And they then breathe in this living thinking and exhale woven in light, woven with love, the light that comes from these cosmic stars and sun and so on. That completes the picture. Just as with the plant world, we exhale carbon dioxide, they inhale that and exhale oxygen. We get that lemniscate. We have this lemniscate with the spiritual world. We are cosmic beings. We have come from that world to be on the earth. Therefore, our consciousness is a cosmic entity, a spiritual entity. And Weisteiner called the philosophy of freedom for the West, the philosophy of spiritual activity. So I hope that gives, boy, that's a quick picture. So I'm sorry for some of the, if I lost some of your readers, listeners on that one, but. <laughs> uh, well, don't worry about that. They've, they've just got a bit more homework to do. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. So the, um, just, just to reiterate those three things, you know, you spoke about, um, these counterbalances to this technolo technological age we're living in and, and coming more and more into. So there's Eurythmy, this um, form of movement developed by Rudolf Steiner, and there's lots of practitioners of that, lots of people doing that in an artistic way, but also in a therapeutic way. There's going out for a walk <laughs> every day, and especially in connection with nature to see the, the changes of the seasons that are occurring, because as you mentioned, the sun itself is not just this, I don't know, ball of gas or whatever they, they think it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and then what Steiner called the new yoga, this refined breathing, but also in connection with our, without, would you say that's also developing spiritual thoughts, you know, living with, living with spiritual concepts and ideas and, and enlivening, enlivening them within ourselves and within, within groups and with, with other people? Is that a part of yeah, that? that? That is what the ascent is, is to begin to raise your consciousness, what the New Agers would say. It is developing this living thinking, yes. Okay.
And that is the counterbalance to going into AI and living with machines and so on in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, um, yeah, that's a lot to take in for, for me and probably most people watching. But thank you very, very much, Andrew, for your time. Um, really appreciate hearing it. Maybe have to have you back on again at some point to um, dive into one or more of those questions. But that's, I, I that's would really be very open to that. But yes, I'm sorry that it's, it's, it, it is the great challenge for Mistech. How do we bring this to people in general? And, and even those in anthroposophy, it is a huge struggle because all of us who grow up in our age are growing up as materialistic-minded people. And anthroposophy, for most of us, is the kind of icing on the cake, but the cake is still materialism. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Look, my work is often a, a lot of the time working with people in a therapeutic sense, you know, uh, spiritual life coaching type sense a lot of the time with people who are grieving actually and it's a real challenge to put into everyday language some of these concepts and I think we just have to do our best and help hope that um, we'll be supported and something of the truth of what we're saying will come across and if it doesn't well you know we did our we're doing our best I think that's the only way to go for me anyway that's how I understand it well, I hope we meet one day. That would be fun. And uh, so, Nick, thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Andrew. And yeah, look forward to seeing you if you do make it over here to Devon. I didn't actually ask you where you're based, just in case I head, head in your Outside direction. Outside of Boston, the uh, town is Hudson, Massachusetts. Ah, okay. Yes, Henry sorry. Hudson. <laughs> yep. Okay, great part of the world. Well, yeah, thank you again for joining me, Andrew. Do you want to just mention where people can find you, where it's the best place to find your work, you know, your your books and your website, etc. Thank you for asking. Sure. Um, one place is mystech.org. So M-Y-S as in mystery, T-E-C-H, all one word, dot org. There's also um, as a kind of archive site of past lectures and so on, mistech.co, just C-O. And then um, I have a number of uh, websites in addition to that, the Christian Mysteries um, dot um, and um, I, I also mentioned there's a Facebook group called Anthroposophy, a Facebook group called another one called Anthroposophy in Mechanical Occultism that uh, you're welcome to join. Um, yeah, and, and the books are all on Amazon. So if you do a search for, you know, just put in Andrew Linnell or put in Mistech, you'll find um, these books. And they're written for people to do in a group. It works much best uh, in a group, but you can certainly do them on your own as well. And there's seven books, um, and one is called Refined Breathing, the oh, new okay. yoga. So, uh, you know, um, you might find that interesting. And one has been translated into German, and we'll get some others translated into other languages as translators come forth. 
Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> Sorry. No, I just said wonderful. Thank you. And um, look, I'll put all those links in the description of the video anyway, so that people can easily find you. Um, so thanks again. I just like to say at the end of the the session here, don't forget people, it's great that you sat through this this video and listened to everything we had to say, but also don't forget to go outside for a walk. I think that's a great thing to recommend to everyone. I might start saying that at the end of each podcast. Um, so thank you again, Andrew. And also I just want to say, um, if you would like to support this channel to continue to, to support uh, me to be able to continue making these podcasts, that would be great. And what you can do is head over to subscribestar.com slash Mick Young. So that's subscribestar.com slash Mick Young. And on that site as well, I have um, other content that, that, that you can subscribe to as well if you'd like to support. Thanks again, Andrew, and uh, look forward to talking to you again another time. Thank you, Mick. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Scientist podcast. You can support us to continue creating the show with a one-off donation via PayPal. The link's in the description. Or you can become a subscriber and receive exclusive content and discounts on all of our spiritual courses and programs. And you can do that via subscribestar.com slash Mick Young. You can also book a free spiritual development consultation with me uh, at spiritualscientist.org slash call. And other ways to support the show are to leave a review on Apple Podcasts uh, and just liking, sharing and commenting on our content. Either way, thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.